do you have the attitude to be some to be a person that would take feedback would implement what you think would work for you or do you have the attitude of a guy who takes everything into one ear and out the other and usually the latter are the ones that fail right like they're the ones that don't do really well and they take longer to realize they're not doing well in something mm. till they give it up um, i mean you can have great attitude and you can still be failing but if you have the great attitude and you're putting in you know the work for it you will eventually succeed Hello and welcome to the third episode of Talk About Something. Today I'm talking with Bhavik and Saeed, two of my mates. As a matter of fact, two of my brothers here in New Zealand. Over the course of last 3 years, we have literally worked together and played together and along the way have had some amazing conversations. I've had the privilege to see both Bhavik and Saeed mature and grow to become better human beings. In today's podcast we are discussing anxiety, fear of failure, immigrant mindset and sports. Even though this is a conversation with brothers, I promise you that there's a ton of value for your listeners. So stick around and enjoy. So, here we are. Um first of all, welcome boys to the podcast. Thank you for being here. It's Thanks quite good to good to see you and um, have a proper conversation with you it's been long since we have sat down like this and had an in-depth talk about about life in general thanks for having us sonia abi no stress man thanks for having me no stress glad so to be here. <laughs> yeah glad to be here. <laughs> no stress bro so i'd like to start with asking you guys um there's a lot of things happening around the world at the moment and a lot of things are there that can impact how our mindset is um what's both of your mindset towards life like at this stage um personally for myself i think i think it's good i just had 3 months i had a 18 day plane trip to india it turned out to be 3 months um it got to a point where i was feeling a bit like oh what's going to happen next a bit of uncertainty but then you just gather yourself and you know just look at the silver lining i believe everything has a bit of a silver lining so i was home i was with the fam came back to new zealand which is great this is home but yeah good man yeah living must be good to see yeah must be good to see family for so long isn't it yeah I've, i haven't stayed with them for 3 months and about 14 years now so it was good That's different a long time. different is what i would say absolutely and what about you bus Uh for me it's been uh I wouldn't say quite the opposite but it's it's I I would say that we're lucky to be living in New Zealand a country that hasn't been affected you know as badly as the other other parts of the world uh we've I mean personally for us uh, the company that I work in we actually worked through the whole the whole period of the lockdown that we faced over here for four, four weeks and so it's 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 been regular life for me yeah uh however i mean you know mindset wise uh, for me personally is is simply just focusing on opportunities that i can find to keep growing uh, and i think that's been my that's been my mindset for quite some time now uh, which is which is what keeps pushing me and keeps me motivated so yeah i'd say that's pretty much my mindset at this stage um, that's cool man what gets you in that zone of continuously seeing the silver lining and not being bogged down by what is happening cuz 
in today's day and age, it's so dangerous. We go on social medias, we see a few images, we see a few um, accounts that are spreading rumors and it's it's impacting our the way we think in general. Uh, a lot of, lot of people uh, do go into that spiral and then just feel really negative towards life and toward, towards their, their existence. So, so what keeps you guys um, up and, and, and in general looking at the silver lining? Um, in, terms of the, in terms of the silver lining, I think, I think it's the mindset. If, if, you know, everyone's gone through phases where they're not feeling the most positive mm-hmm. uh, within themselves, but I'm a strong believer that everything happens for a reason and it happens always happens for a good reason. So I consciously look for a silver lining, especially in the times I had, as to yeah. why is this happening, what could be the positive out of this. Mm-hmm. And I think I just try and find reasons to look at a silver lining. Having said that, it's also to do with what's, like in the current scenario, what's controllable um, and what's uncontrollable. Like you and I can't control the pandemic. Of course not. But yeah. what we can be thankful about, as Buzz said, is we live in a country that's controlled it. We don't have it here. Um, you know, that's... And we can enjoy that. But let's say we, we still had cases, you and I can't control. All we can control is ourselves. Um, yeah, I think for me, in terms of silver lining, that's, I, I kind of intentionally look for it. Um, and staying in positive mindset and looking at what's what's under my control and what's not. And how did you develop this? What's under my control and what's not? Just the way of thinking. The way of. Thinking. I actually don't know, man. Like, um, I I wouldn't be able to answer that. How when I can't remember when I started. I think it's a lot of my growing up. My father used to say it like you know everything that happens happens for a good reason. And you know when you're young you kind of hear it and it kind of stays with you unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And then, especially through tough times, and we've all had had a fair share of them, I, I guess. Um, I kind of started intentionally looking for it. Like, <coughs> can't give you examples, but but there have been times where I've you know been in a really dark space, and I've gone, okay, this is not working or whatever. And then, like, just going back to my roots or how I was brought up, and I'm just going through, okay, what is this little lining in this? What 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 positive? can I get out of this, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's my upbringing to a certain extent. Um, I've read a lot about it. Um, I used to read a lot, I don't read anymore. Um, yeah, mm. I think that's what it is really. It's really interesting, really interesting you share that because a lot of things are related back to our upbringing. Uh, all the three of us, we came to this new country when when um, we were being molded as a person, I'd say. Uh, of course, for Bhavik and for Sayyid, yourself as well, we, you guys came quite early in your life. And I was a little bit late, but, you know, I've always been interested in knowing what an immigrant and the struggle that one immigrant goes through. Um, because you were not born here, you have, you have ridden the same boat as well. Um, do you guys think that an immigrant has this added advantage because uh, a he or she, they are going through a different set of upbringing back in, back in their country and when they come here, there's a, first of all a massive culture shock and second, because you have seen um, 
a lot back in your home country things start to get easier for you when you settle down in a new in a new country have you observed that as well yeah i mean i feel like uh there's there's a bit of truth to that but however you know new zealand is a very very multicultural country so when i first moved here i mean i personally had never actually traveled overseas before that so it was a big shock to me you know seeing people of different races and stuff uh and then once we settled down i went to school here and i i went to manwasco grammar school and that school's known to be super multicultural so we had uh maybe 20% or 30% people in that school that were actually kiwis and the rest were mostly southeast asians or they were from the islands and you know in saying that even even people from the islands are very uh family oriented their upbringing is very very similar to how it is back home for us in india and so i never actually felt that uh it's that different in new zealand or in auckland but once you know getting older getting into the corporate world a little bit uh you start to notice a few things here and there yeah but i wouldn't say they they have any kind of uh you know they they don't it doesn't have as much weightage as something that you would see in a country like america or in the you know in the uk um, yeah so i think i think we're actually again quite lucky to be mm. in a country where we we don't have to face something that's uh a point of difference as this Mm-hmm. Right. What I meant towards was that we have this mental fortitude, a resilience that we have automatically developed just because we have seen tougher days uh, back in our country. And tougher days can be described as a lot of lot of things. Um, first of all, where we come from, all of us, we have this common theme that uh, we never get solitude back in our country. Right. We always are surrounded by people, and because of that, we develop this. Uh, this this uh, this habit of being surrounded by people and at the same time having the ability to think for ourselves um and i don't see that in a lot of kiwis uh, that i've met but at the same time they have their own advantages and they they have this feeling of being independent that come to them really early in the life and i think because you two have come here at such an early age that must have translated into both being getting the best of both sides yeah i mean it's funny that you say that because my mom and dad actually think the exact same thing about me now uh you know they feel like i'm very very uh, independent i'm not as family oriented individualistic as, yeah as they would mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know i mean uh, as you said you know back home in india you are surrounded with a lot of people but it it comes with a lot of uh, pros and cons and don't get me wrong i love both india and new zealand like i love it uh, from my heart but Uh, the thing about being surrounded with a lot of people is it comes with a lot of expectations you know yeah. and that's the really hard part of living in india is everything you do is judged yeah whereas when you move here and that that's why kiwis you know they do it so well is because they actually don't care what other people think yeah. you know for them they find happiness within themselves uh being content for them is absolutely fine whereas if you live a lifestyle where you're content in india people will think you're an underachiever you're not aiming higher mm, and and mm. that's the big difference i found that in new zealand you just have a way better mind space essentially yeah. because you know you're not thinking what other people care or think you don't you don't care about what other people think yeah mm. i'll agree i think um the difference between i don't know if you've heard about collective society and individual society so every yeah. western is very 
you know, individual focus. Mm-hmm. And India, almost all of East Asia is very collective focus. Yeah. But they, as Bhavik said, they have pros and cons. Absolutely. Um, like me being here for so long, I've kind of, I realized this time when I was there for three months that, okay, I sometimes do need my own space. Whereas mm-hmm. my brother probably doesn't feel that way because he's been there. Um, having said that, like, I think personally, I enjoy both. Um, being collectively, when I go back home, I'm really close to my family still. And I also like to be independent or think about myself first. Mm-hmm. But I, I, don't, I don't feel that there are no expectations here. Um, but they're in a different way, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you still feel the pressure of expectation in New Zealand, but in a really different way. And in there, when we were young, we had to match, you know, the top scores in school and stuff like that. Maybe you won't face that here that that much, uh, but at the same time, we weren't expecting you to do do good in whatever field you do. Yeah, um, people are expecting you to start earning by the age of eighteen. Yeah, like move out by the age of twenty. Yeah, and in India, you could be twenty-seven and still studying, and you know, absolutely. And and everyone will be happy because you, everyone wants to be an engineer or a doctor. Um, yeah, it's totally seen as the other way, isn't it? When people are studying at the age of twenty seven or twenty eight, people think that they are gonna become something, something, uh, in a way successful. But I don't really resonate with that term. But anyways, uh, coming back to the discussion, so of course we are living in an individualistic country or society that. Uh, care about a lot of other stuff than what um, we care about back home. Do you think that that comes with a different sort of insecurities for an individual? What sort of insecurities have you faced in your life, both of you? And how have you managed to um, to cope up with them? Insecurities in terms of living alone? or Yeah, living alone coming to a, uh, an altogether different sort of culture and then standing up and just saying that, guys, I am here and I am um, a person and I have feelings and just, you know, making making a stamp. I think the first thing that you got to give credit to is New Zealand as a country, right? So as soon as I came here, I knew no one apart from my dad's friend who lives over the shore. Mm-hmm. I just felt really welcome. Like, I, I'm... Originally from Kashmir, I lived in Delhi. And you know, if you've been to Delhi, no one has time to talk to you. Of course. Here, yeah. I was like running from, I wanted to go K Road, and I didn't know what K Road was, and I was roaming around Wyduct. Mm. This is me being 17. And mm. you know, this guy came and he gave me his map and stuff. So I think moving into the country, I'd never felt like, oh, we're, you know, people are rude, or, you know, I had to put a tough face on. Because mm. um, I just felt like everyone was quite, quite nice and, you know, helped me move. Um, make my move really smooth mm. so I didn't get insecurities like that but you, you do feel insecure at times like um, you, you feel like whether you're going to be able to live here um, like my first shock was uni because back in India you get books you study do your exams done mm-hmm. so I was coming from that mindset and when I had to do my first assignment I was like hold on a second where's the exam it was yeah. a group assignment and it was a shock and a half I struggled so much for the first six months to get get used to it because you know, it's so book-oriented in India. You have to read it, memorize it. Here, it's more practical. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a shock. But then, yeah, I think... So are you are you asking what like, the different kind of insecurities that you'd face in India and in New Zealand? Is that what you're... Yes, and your personal experience. Okay. So, I mean, I look, I think insecurities don't come from the place you're in. I think, you know, insecurities 
the the big question here is what is insecurity, right? It can be so many different things. It can be that you have you're a kind of person that gets jealous mm-hmm. in a relationship. Mm-hmm. It can be something where you're you know you're not confident about your body that you have too many body hairs and you're ashamed of taking it out at mm-hmm. a swimming pool. Um, it it can just be so many different things, right? And it comes from, according to me, like from my personal experience, it comes from two things. One can be either you're actually not self-confident, you know, you have self-doubt. And the second, I think, is essentially you're thinking too much about what other people would think. Yeah. And that kind of messes with your head. And so uh, from my personal experience, I'm not going to share exactly what the personal experience was, but uh, even after talking to a lot of people about my insecurities and their insecurities, I feel that the main, the root cause is usually the second point I made, which is you're actually caring about what other people would care. Yeah. And that's something my dad told me when I was actually, you know, when we just moved to New Zealand, I just started university. And that, that's something he made very clear is one thing I should not care about. One of the biggest reasons we moved from India to here is so that I know and they know that we're not doing this for others, for yeah. what others think. We're doing it because we want to be happy within ourselves. And that's actually made a huge difference in my life with feeling insecure about things, right? Uh, the second thing is self-doubt, self-confidence. And I feel like, yeah, it's fair that some people feel that way. However, the only way to get over it really is to actually work on it. Mm-hmm. So to put it in an in a example, I would say, you know, like if in cricket, like if you're a bowler and you're, you're playing in a test cricket match, test match cricket, um, and, you know, you when you have a new ball, you're expected to bowl swing full to make the batsman play shots mm-hmm. but you have a tendency to keep bowling short how are mm-hmm. you going to change it right mm-hmm. you can either just be like you know what i'm going to set a field to have catches for the short balls or you're going to actually practice day in day out on pitching the ball up mm-hmm. and that's what you got to do you got to keep working on yourself uh, and that's the only way to i think overcome your insecurities but i don't think it comes from places i think it comes from i within. think yeah i agree i think to look at it on a different angle will be some one well, I, I I would like to believe most of the insecurities come out of fear. So fear mm-hmm. of being judged, fear yeah. of failure is a big one. Yeah. Um and then you as Buzz said, I agree, you gotta define what insecurities is. Like to me you gotta define what your fear is. Like um when I was really young I was playing cricket and you know, I I was feeling at short cover and I was it's me being 12 or 11 like really young I used to be quite scared because these big boys would hit it really hard uh-huh. and you know and my coach was like you're scared and I was like no because you want to put a tough face and he was like no no you have a f- fear of the ball and I was like I didn't agree to it but deep down I knew I, I had it and that's when I tried to think about you know just fear in general why am I scared of the ball the reason for that was maybe it will hit me and then my coach, rather than, you know, digging deep into, no, no, agree, you have fear, he just told me one day, like, he just chucked the ball at me and he said, look at it, it's a small piece of leather. Uh-huh. You know, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. And th- the way he put it, it actually took my fear away. And then I wasn't wasn't feeling fearful. Hence, I wasn't feeling that if I go shock cover, I might misfield it, my coach might think the other way. That was the main cause of the fear. Yeah, yeah. The I ball and the that. coach. So. I think that leads up to insecurities. There's this um, need of acceptance, isn't it, that we all have? Oh yeah, massively. I think I have it more than my anyone in my family. I guess, like you know, I wanted to be accepted by a lot of my close uh, family members and stuff. But you get, I think, you, as Buzz said, you work on it, you get over it. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. that's but, the key. You got to talk about it. Yeah, if you're alive and you, you know, you're human, you'll, I reckon you'll always have fear of something. It's Absolutely. a constant, constant work. Absolutely. Constant work. Yeah, yeah. Who are the top? Uh, <coughs> taking this conversation into a bit, bit more depth. Um, when I say boxing, who are the top boxers that come into your mind? Like there's Muhammad Ali. Of course, he's the he's Mike the legend. Tyson, there's Mike Tyson, Tyson right now. Sonny Liston, bro. Yeah. <laughs> that man was a beast. But yeah, my favorite is Muhammad Ali, just for his resilience. Yeah. And if I was to look just at like flamboyant Mike Tyson, man. Yeah. I would even add Sunny Deol in there. <laughs> <laughs> An actor. Fair enough. <laughs> for people who don't know. Um, okay, so yeah, Mike Tyson, right? Now, funny story. I was listening to an interview of Mike Tyson last night with this guy called Graham Bensinger. uh he's a really good guy and interviews a lot of lot of um, athletes and top of the trade people um and he asked him a question the question was when you're exiting your locker room and heading towards the ring before your fight what is going on in your mind and the the answer that mike tyson gave really shook me because i did not expect that first of all when you see a guy who is uh looking like a beast shredded to uh i don't know 5% body fat and he said and and when you're looking at him walking confidently from the locker room towards the ring you're thinking that he's going to kill the opponent he's going to kill the other person in the ring he is just there to make sure that everyone in the world knows that he is the champ right um but the answer was completely opposite and let's see if we can play this clip over here and 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 see if if it works if it doesn't then sorry about that but let's give it a shot what emotions would go through you as you're walking from the dressing room to the ring for a fight i used to think um it was being ferocious to tell you i can't wait to get my hands on him but it's really nothing but fear being embarrassed to be beaten being knocked out so as you're walking to the ring you're thinking you're afraid embarrassed yeah what do you think that was um i don't know that's just what it is that's just how i deal with my pain and my pressure and everything you know but at the same time i mean you wanted to kill your opponents essentially you said you that's what you would get yourself to think about you yeah, know, going into know. a fight right I really don't know but really in all fights I have to tell you that we're we're prepared to do this but this is like um sleepwalking fighting is like sleepwalking guy he just knows how to do it you know it just depends on what spirit he brings with him but he knows how to do it even if he doesn't train he knows how to do it and um I don't know I could say I know out of out of sound and tough I always want to say I want to kill him to get my hand but I'm always scared to death How amazing is that eh? like yeah how how well I've heard that interview before um yeah that's amazing it's amazing no this guy is talking about how scared he was to face the world if he is defeated and this i don't know if it, if this is anxiety or not but this is something powerful that we all go through which is i want to make sure that i'm looking decent enough in front of the other people mm. am i qualified to do this the question that always comes inside you how do you cope with that i think 
fear of failure in general, sport, be it your, you know, your professional life, your education, sports, or anything, you can look at it in two ways. Fear of failure can destroy you because you're always thinking about you're going to fail. So that's really negative mindset. Um, and you'll attract it. You'll attract failure if you always think about that. Having said that, I think it works. It depends on your personality. For some people, fear of failure actually takes them to the top. Because they're so driven by not failing, they're thinking about it 24-7, which is actually takes probably takes a massive toll on their mental health. But because they're trained in such a way, they, they don't want to fail. They always think about, oh, what, am I, what if I fail? Or oh, what do I need to do? I need to train harder. I need to study more. I need to research more for my, you know, my meetings or you know, whatever profession you're in. Mm-hmm. That drives them to top. Having said that, the other, other, this is what I've noticed in, in my experience is the other set of people, <coughs> don't, this doesn't drive them. This will put them in anxiety. They'll probably need help. What drives them is just thinking about, you know, Muhammad Ali, for example, complete opposite of this. He came onto the scene. The first thing he said is that I'm going to be the best, best boxer there's ever been in the world. Now, a young guy coming into the scene, he said that, and I read his interview, he said, I said it because... I, I wanted to prove myself right. So you can't, and the amount of confidence that takes to just say it on a world stage. Because once he says it, let's say he fails it, he'll become a joke. Mm-hmm. But he was like, because I said it, that made me work so hard that I had to achieve it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it works both ways. Mm-hmm. For maybe, maybe for, but I think everyone, like we, we play cricket, all of us. You know, if you might have scored 100 the next game when you're walking out to bat or when, you know, you have the ball in your hand. I always feel like, oh, what if I get out of the first ball? Mm-hmm. But having said that, how do you bring that back to your process? And how do you make that work yeah, I think it's, in I your think favor? Adding to what Said said, it's, it's about how you channelize it. Yeah. It, it. You can use it to motivate the shit out of you. Or you can, yeah, as you said, go into a spiral, which is only downwards from there on. And... And I think I, I I guess the people that actually become successful will also feel this, but they're the ones that actually then go on to think that why, what, how can I avoid this? Right, is by doing my processes, by working so hard that I don't face this failure. And so when it comes to actually implementing all the hard work you put in through that process, you're not gonna face the failure. And at that moment, to be very honest. And this is what we've seen with people, right? Like Conor McGregor, like he's a beast. Mm-hmm. He's a damn good fighter, but he loses. Mm-hmm. And he will talk all the shit in the world after that loss before his next fight. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's confident and he believes that although he might not have won the fights, he's done everything he could to mm-hmm. make sure he was in the best shape to fight those fights. Mm-hmm. And then if he got beaten by a person who had a better day, mm-hmm. then so be it. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. He carried on. He didn't back down. He came back into a sport that's not even the sport he usually plays. He did boxing against an undefeated champion, you mm-hmm. know, Floyd Mayweather. And he lost that. But how much respect did everyone gain for him for doing that? You know, mm-hmm. I know it was a lot to do with money as well, but mm-hmm. it all comes down to just channelizing how you want to use yeah. this fear. And it's it's absolutely normal to feel this fear, this anxiety. Yeah. But it's not normal to not do anything about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's when you get completely fucked up. So, so what, what, what's your process? How do you deal with it? So, as I as um, you know, as I just said earlier, I mean, I try channelize it in a manner to motivate me. It's now let's say let's take an example over here. Right now, we all of us we've been working together since almost last what last three years. We've been playing cricket together since almost the same amount of time. 
you guys have been consistently performing there has been top top performances both in your careers in your sports everything that you are currently doing when you are feeling that fear of belonging the the anxiety that is coming within you let's say before going to a meeting where you are meeting a hot shot of the industry and uh what you just want to make sure that whatever time he is spending with you or you are spending together you want to add value do you ever feel anxious about a meeting before you step into it or do you ever talk to yourself saying that if i don't make this count then i won't get another shot ever in my life and how do you deal with it afterwards uh, absolutely i mean i personally i i feel anxious uh when there's a big moment coming up uh, and i think that's quite normal uh, but i again i i take two steps back and you know one thing i actually i'm not sure if you guys have noticed or not working with me for such a long time but one thing i always do before going to my meetings in the car especially big meetings i always just randomly yell out uh, to myself if i want it i've got to go get it um I don't know why I do that but it just pumps me and puts me in this space where um you know I'm not thinking that I'm going to somebody who is more important than me or I always need to be the guy who's adding the value or I'm always the guy who's doing the best for the team while playing cricket I don't actually look at it that way I try you know looking at the overall picture and I see that look if I uh, for example in 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 Korea in my career if I'm going to a meeting yes I have to add value but it's also because that's what that person needs from me right mm-hmm. i'm not just going there because he has not like there's no interest from his side towards me or her side towards me it's it's a two way street um and i never i never in my mind once it gets to the point of actually being in that battle feel that one person is high, in a higher position than the other it's an even playing field and that's what i think keeps me uh, you know level headed and keeps me uh in control of my emotions in that moment and Personally, I also feel like a lot, a lot. Like for example, for cricket, a lot of the times I have quite a few big nights before the games, mm-hmm. and it's gotten to the point where I actually enjoy cricket like heaps, but I also enjoy partying a lot, right? Yeah. So yeah. I had to find a really good balance, and the one thing that uh, the the way I channeled that was, I can never be in a position where I let the team down or blame my failure at cricket the next day mm-hmm. because of a night out. So no matter what happens on the night out uh, and I'm sure you guys you know you guys can agree to this I will always still perform at my 100% the next day mm-hmm. because yeah, you might I, sleep the the yeah, lunch but you'll turn up you'll turn up yeah but the fact is that I will never blame another you know uh, a thing that might affect a second thing because of my own doing I would instead channel it in a manner where use it to my advantage so I actually reverse psychology my own head into thinking that mm. But if you fuck it up today, Bavik, then you're essentially going to have to stop partying because you've let the whole team down because mm-hmm. you like partying too much mm-hmm. and that's caused mm-hmm. the team a defeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want to be in that position. Yeah. So I'll go over and above to make sure I perform even harder the next day. Right. Okay. See, that's that's actually the complete and I know it works for Bavik because we, you know, been playing for 3 years, we know Friday Bavik wants a big night because he has this thing like if I don't have a big night I'm not going to perform. Yeah. But I always knew he's using reverse psychology. For, for for me it works the complete opposite. If I go out on Friday night, which these boys are sometimes drag me but I still like leave at 11. It's not that I don't want to stay, but almost well, it is that I don't want to stay, but it's more to do with I I need I need self-belief. Mhm. Any in anything. So let's say I'm going to a big meeting. Mhm. 
I need, I can't just walk into a meeting without preparing and going, especially big meetings, without preparing and going, I'm going to kill it. I cannot fool myself, mm. you know, and it's a great skill to have when you can actually use reverse psychology. I can't. Mm. I have mm. to prepare. Once I prepare, I then, like, profession-wise, my best meetings are the ones when I'm not thinking about the result. As soon as I'm thinking, no, I need this person to join or I need to grab this uh, contract or... I, I'm looking at the end result and I'm not doing what I do best, which is, you know, follow the process. Right. Having said okay. that, I, I need to be in a frame of mind where I've gone, again, coming back to what can I control? I can control my preparation uh-huh. and how I then handle the meeting. The results will take care of themselves. Uh-huh. Same at Crooked. I can control going to bed early. I can, you know, Bhavik doesn't have to train. Like, let's take example of uh, GD. Okay, he doesn't train much. He doesn't, maybe that puts him in a really good mindset. You know, yeah, I was listening yeah. to David Warner. He said, I'm not Steve Smith. I don't need to hit balls two hours every day because that doesn't work for me. Yeah, keeping for, it fresh. Yeah, it. for me, I have to hit balls. Like in season, you'll see me training four days because I need to tell, I can't fool myself. Tell myself, look, you've hit balls every day for two hours. You've practiced every possible a scenario that might happen in the middle, you're prepared. Mm-hmm. And then if I get out first ball, I get out first ball. It doesn't matter. But what will bother me is if I haven't prepared, and that's why, I eat, you know, Swam usually knows most of the crooked lads. I eat his head from Tuesday until Friday at work, mm. asking what does this guy do? What does That's me just preparing myself. Okay, outswing or whatever. But that's what I have to do. Whereas some people would be just like, they'll just switch off and on Saturday they just turn up. Yeah. So, it all brings back to like what works for you. So what could work for you is reverse psychology or what could work for you is like preparation. For me, it's preparation. Um, but sometimes like, you know, stuff like when you told me about the podcast, I know I can't prepare for this. If I had prepared, I'll probably muck it all up. So, yeah. But how coincidental is this is to be, you know, having this chat and then getting the best of like getting the answers of like the both sides of mm. how one would know handle this yeah absolutely that 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 brings me to my next question which is how do you figure it out do you allow yourself to fail till the time you figure it out and how much failure is involved in reaching to this realization that you know what i don't want to hit that many balls you know what i don't want to prepare that much for a meeting before heading into it i think it depends on sorry to cut your question short but i think it depends on how you feel it um, so for example let's say Bhavik starts bowling three hours every day from here on doesn't party on Friday and he he goes okay I'm feeling better it's not result driven again for me he just gives he goes okay this is the best opportunity I'm feeling really really way better than I used to before that's a win that means he needs to change that process mm. um, for example for me if I start hitting less balls and then on a Saturday, I actually feel better. And it has happened, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was actually Baz who told me, you got to step back. You're informed, don't hit too many balls. Because mm-hmm. you will actually muck it up. Because you'll start looking for things that are not there. By the um, way, Baz is our coach. For yeah, people who don't Darren, know. Darrington Rowland. Um, Gem of a guy. So, yeah. So I guess it, it all, all comes from within. It's For me, it's not result-driven. Well, to a certain extent, yes, result-driven. Because your feeling of or on that day... Whether you score a hundred or take a fifer, or you mm, get that mm. contract over the line, mm. I'm a big believer in how how did you feel? Do you feel that you were in control and you gave yourself the best option? If if you did, um, then the process is working. If it's not, then you chop and change. You you talk to people you trust. Like in terms of work, I'll probably go to Bavik and I'll ask him, bro, this is what I'm doing. There was a period when I was struggling. I went to Bavik, uh, Pierre, um, mm-hmm. and I was asking them questions. 
And I was like, oh, actually, this makes sense. You, I, th- I think at the core of all of this, like anything in life in general, you have to be, uh, give you an example. You can't be like a rock. You have to be like really, you've got to observe, absorb everything, not observe. Um, to give you an example, let's say ra- there's ra- it's raining, right? I was actually telling this to Bam the other day. Let's say it's raining. Rain falls on everything, right? Mm-hmm. It falls on the ground. It falls on concrete as well. But on concrete, nothing's going to grow because mm-hmm. it's concrete. It's not going to absorb the water. But if it falls on soil, there's probably going to be a plant growing. Yeah. So as long as you have the capacity of listening, not hearing, mm-hmm. listening, because there's a massive difference in hearing and listening. Absolutely. As long as you have the capacity of listening and then working out what works for you. You don't have to take every suggestion. I think then you'll be able to change your process um, if it means, you know, doing less, doing more, whatever, you'll figure it out. But if you set in your ways and you're going, no, I would never change. This is the right way. Mm. Then I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. my work, I, I I can't really say, but. I yeah. think th- I think that's spot on. I think it, it, the the final bit comes down to attitude, right? It's Yeah. Do you have the attitude to be some, to be a person that would take feedback, would implement what you think would work for you? Or do you have the attitude of a guy who takes everything into one ear and out the other? And usually the latter are the ones that fail, right? Like they're the ones that don't do really well and they take longer to realize they're not doing well in something until mm. they give it up. Um, I mean, you can have great attitude and you can still be failing. But if you have the great attitude and you're putting in, you know, the work for it, you will eventually succeed. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. what Saeed said. And also, how, how quickly do you give up? Mm. You know, if you're working on something, what time... Again, I was talking to one of our crooked boys... Ramshi, he's obviously taken, you know, quit his job. He wants to concentrate on crooked. We were just having a chat. My only advice to him last year was, don't think that because you've quit your job and you're training harder, you're gonna get a goal this year. Because, because mm-hmm. you gotta be realistic and go, okay, I'm gonna give this this much time at least. Because otherwise, if you put like if you put too too high expectation of the result, you'd give up early. Maybe it was just another three steps away. Yeah, you'll you know? add pressure on yourself. Yeah, and how. Like, for example, me, I've been training on a certain kind of shot. It's been two years. I don't think I'm still perfect at it. But every day, I'm making at least half a step, mm-hmm. uh, you know, towards my goal. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not giving up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it also comes down to what your, where your passion is, you know. Yeah. Like, cricket for all of us is quite, you know, I mean, I have to be honest with myself. I'm not going to make it to Aces. I, I play for my club. I actually play for the boys because, you know, they, they're like brothers to me and I enjoy I could actually see the boys every day and not get bored, and I enjoy playing cricket with them. But at the same time, it, it's because I'm passionate about it. Every time I train, I don't feel like I'm training. Um, but if I was forced to do it, if I was forced to do it, then I wouldn't put. I don't think I'll put the hard yards because that's just forcing yourself. And same mm-hmm. with work. I you know I love where I'm working, and you know most of the days we're in the office till nine. No one's asking us to be there. We're just chilling, you know, having chats and stuff basically have no life and i think that like you know you mentioned the anxiety part earlier and it, this kind of comes down to that it's if you're doing things in life they need to be things that you enjoy they need to be things that you love because if you don't that's when you start getting insecurities that's when you start feeling a certain type of way where you're not in the right mind space to you know be wanting to do that when you start if you, if you don't love something if you don't have passion for it it's more likely than not you're not going to do well at it uh, unless you're just uh, mm. uh, you're totally gifted, but it's very very important to always be doing things that where your heart lies, mm. uh, and that's when you can avoid anxiety. That's when you can avoid 
feeling a bit insecure about yourself. Mm-mm. Absolutely. This is such gold. Um, I'm really amazed with the depth of conversation that we are having over here. Uh, one last question I'd like to ask you boys is that you have seen a lot of people in your life, right? There are a lot of friends who don't play sports and they are going through their own challenges and you see that they are going through challenges. Have you ever felt yourself that because you have taken up a certain sort of sport, you have this advantage over others where you can snap out of a mindset really quickly or get into a mindset really quickly just because you face similar situations while playing that particular sport? See, the, like, the thing I'd ask you here is, why do you think that's the case? For people, it, you know, it's a complete fact. You know, it's a known fact that people that play sports that exercise uh, feel less uh, anxiety and pressure in life uh, because they can snap out of those moments. But the, the main question is, why is that, right? And, yeah, yeah. and according to me, the reason is because you're doing something you love mm. and you have passion in it. And mm. every time you do something where you have love and passion, you kind of are in a very positive frame of mind because you're doing something you enjoy. Mm. And that's that's the key. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to be sport, right? Like some people really, really enjoy reading books and that can snap you out of things. Some people really enjoy just having a glass of whiskey and that can be their moment of just switching off. Some people, you know, like traveling. That can be their moment of switching. So it's just everyone needs to find that spot where it helps them switch off from mm. whatever is making them in a negative mind space. Um, and yeah, for that's luckily for us, I think, I mean, I can speak for myself at least that Cricket is definitely one of those uh, things that mm. completely switches everything off for me, especially when I'm on the field. Don't think anything else, but, you know, just enjoying the moment with the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. yeah. That's bang on, man. Like, I've just, as as you spoke about Cricket, like, prob- I'm quite impatient, quite, quite fidgety as well. The only, and I'm usually thinking about 10 other things in my head, so, you know, that comes with the impatient personality. The only time I'm actually switched off from everything is when I'm on the field. I'm actually, compl- well, in batting you sometimes, you know, get thoughts, but I'm not thinking about what am I going to do tomorrow, um, how's work going to go, I'm only thinking about the game, so I think that switches switches things off for me. And It's sort of a therapeutic feeling, isn't it? It is, it is actually, like I've recently, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but you know, two two years back, I was going through a really rough time, and man, like, cricket, and the, and the, and the boys we have at the club, like, you know, Bhavik, the other said, other they said, oh, you know, you love Eden Roskill. It's actually not, the, you know, you don't love the building, you know, it's, it's the, it's the guys we have at the club, the, the connection club. we have. The people that makes the Yeah, and the I, place. you know, unintentionally, these boys, they don't even know, because I haven't probably shared with any one of them, even though I'm really close to, close to most of them. And hopefully but they, they just, they just, they just took me out of it. That was because I was loving what I was doing. I was around them. At cricket was snapping me out of things. I think I was borderline having, well, not anxiety. Well, maybe borderline. But that just completely snapped me out of it, you know. Mm. Um, just hitting balls, staying around the club. Summer, Saturday, you're going for, for games. Sunday, we used to all chill and stuff. Um, yeah, you got to find what, what works for you. What what is what has put you in anxiety? Mm. Most of the time, I think for myself, if I'm not doing anything... It just puts me in a really bad state because I think a lot. Mm. It puts me in a really bad state of mind. So I got to stay busy. So I'll figure that out. Like I have to stay busy um, and I have to stay around people I, I like. I can't stay around. I'm not, 
you know, some people have that social skill where they meet someone and they can still be really, well, you know, they can make a conversation oh, out of it or become friends with them. I'm not like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you just you just find something that works for you as Bavik. It could be traveling, could be reading a book. Just don't do drugs. Uh, drugs is not the... Because a couple of my mates went through depression and they turned to drugs. Guess what? They, they actually went south pretty quickly. And, yeah, I mean, it'll and just, initially because yeah, you know, something new, you're in a yeah. different mind space, but it's not the right yeah, way. And, it will uh, eventually spiral. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and also, list, like, I started listening to a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> like a lot of mindset stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, that actually That actually helped, you know? Um, well, but yeah, but but if you're feeling it really hard, my advice is seek help, man. Like hundred yeah. percent, there's nothing wrong in seeking help. It could be a mate, could be a counselor. Um, you yeah. have to seek help. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong in that. There's no absolutely there's no. no taboo. It's not taboo to go see a therapist. No, it's not. No, it's not, especially bad. back in India, like you, you you're feeling it that way. You you go seek for help. Like for me, it's been my friends, my family. I can speak to them about anything and that helps you know and if it gets to a point where you're feeling a lot of pressure go seek help absolutely wow guys this has been a really powerful conversation i really really appreciate you guys taking our time from your busy sunday and coming and doing this thank you again for being here this is one of the many conversations we're going to have because i'm sure there are more gems hidden in your minds that i'd love to explore sometime in the future thank you again and Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Abby.